This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and it is my pleasure to be joined today by J.J. Davis, who's Senior Vice President for Administration and Finance at George Mason University. Welcome, J.J. Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for being with us today. To get us started today, JJ, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how you came to higher ed as a profession. I know this was not something that you anticipated doing when you were 16 years old. Yeah, no, absolutely not. At 16, I thought I was going to be a journalism broadcaster. Uh, when I went to college, I thought for sure I would become an environmental lawyer. And 25 years later, I'm a chief business officer. So uh, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a definite um, career um, change in many ways. Um, you know, I would simply say this. Uh, my early years were as a civil servant in government. And what I learned early on is uh, I really liked uh, problem solving. I liked public policy issues and very much uh, have a love of learning. And so uh, early in my career, as I said, I started as an analyst uh, and then had an amazing opportunity to work with both elected and appointed officials in government. Uh, and it actually was a governor, first female governor of Delaware, Governor Minner, who said to me, you know, I really see you as an OMB director, an office of management and budget director. And I think that's sort of where I really had found my passion, this intersection of working with people and complex public policy issues. And from there, I had an opportunity of a lifetime uh, after 15 years of government service uh, to go into higher education. Um, and I got to work at University of Delaware. So how did that come about? Yeah, great question. A um, couple of things. I had actually been doing some adjunct uh, teaching in the community college and found, again, another passion of mine is um, the the space of education and learning and, and helping to solve problems. So I was teaching political science at a local community college. And then there was a new president at University of Delaware who was looking for someone because University of Delaware is a public institution. The under understanding of the state system um, in higher education. Publics are often funded by um, the state with taxpayer revenue. And so I just happened to have that uh, portfolio of skills. Uh, and so lots of conversations between people I'd been working with and the new administration at University of Delaware. And so uh, I applied and uh, got, the, got the job to go in uh, first as a vice president of administration and then ultimately uh, a CBO role. What part of working in the public sector do you feel helped you to transition to higher ed? I, mean, I think it was a, a compilation of things. One is, um, you know, there are different constituencies. So really understanding the multifaceted nature of, of public policy issues and that people have differences of opinion 
Um, second, um, I think the passion to go into higher education was um, thinking about the mission. So, you know, really what higher education is all about is um, providing um, an educational opportunity, which literally changes the trajectory of many students' lives. You know, I give you the example of my husband is a first generation, um, a highly accomplished um, master degree educator now. And, um, you know, his ability to go to undergrad and grad school and um, he, he just has a has a different um, professional experience um, that his parents uh, obviously spent a lot of time providing for him, but it's really changed the trajectory for him and then and, and then ultimately our children. What would you say was the most challenging part of transitioning from the public sector? Was there anything that you wish you had known about academia before you moved over or you wish somebody had pulled you aside and said, hey, you might want to think about this? I mean, I think the the complexity of the stakeholders is a little bit more intense. So, you know, when you work in state government, um, it's the cabinet, it's the elected officials, and it's the taxpayers. In higher education, it's the students, right? The, the disproportionately pay their tuition to fund their education now. It's the board, um, which is often a pointed through a political process, in, again, in a public situation. It's the faculty, right, who, who really are the lifeblood of the institution, have long, long um, careers, uh, often at one institution. And so, you know, their, their time horizon might be different at times than, than an urgency that I might see to an issue. Um, and then there's all the sort of local constituency, the, not only the faculty, but the staff, and then wherever you're located, an institution and the institutions I've had the fortune of working for tend to be large and complex. So mm-hmm. George Mason has 37,000 students in Fairfax, Virginia. So we have lots of community in and around our university who have opinions and views um, about what we're doing, how we're doing it. And so I think that was the biggest thing for me was I thought I understood working in state government, the complexity of stakeholders and each of their views. But um, I think it was just simply a training ground for an ever more complex and exciting and dynamic um, opportunity to work in higher education. JJ, let's fast forward a little bit and talk about your current role. What would you say is most exciting about your job today? Oh, so I'm a people person at heart, right? So I love to engage with people. And what I find so exciting is, again, the intersection of public policy and the public policy nature of our issues, um, working with students, faculty, and staff to really solve complex issues. So, you know, we work really hard at George Mason University on first generation, you know, getting students who who don't have within their immediate family, have never been to college, and working with them to set them up for success. Um, I'm in an institution today where we're growing. Um, you know, we're growing around 1,000 students additionally a year. So you know, working with um, the faculty and the staff and the students, how do we manage this growth? Um, so I spent a lot of time um, interfacing, working with, collaborating with, faculty, staff, and students on these incredible issues. And um, I'm really honored to, to have the opportunity to do it. Um, and, you know, growth uh, is an exciting thing for higher education because not everyone is growing. Um, but managing the growth is quite complex. I hear on this podcast a lot that 
innovation is such a critical part of the CBO role today. So where would you say you look for pockets of innovation, for inspiration to manage the growth and and everything you're trying to accomplish? I I love uh, team building. I love working in teams. So you know what I have found is um, the people, the workforce, the faculty, the staff, the students, actually, you know, they often have great ideas to solve some of the complex problems that we in our office are struggling over. So, um, you know, we've done design thinking labs at this institution. We host forums and town halls. So um, often to say, hey, you know, what do you like? Um, what do you see as a challenge? Um, and we have had enormous success at um, both um, cutting off at the gate or at the pass what could be a big problem, um, but also um, being able to work on some issues where it's, um, hey, you know, we see this challenge and have you looked at it from this perspective? Um, so, you know, for example, um, at Fairfax, uh, we are um, incredibly busy. You know, this is our largest campus, but we have additional campuses in, uh, close by 12 and 20 miles. And so the question was like, wow, those are slightly underutilized. Is there a better way to position these other campuses for success? And so, you know, working with faculty, staff and students, um, we're able to, to do that. And then that helps the overall growth plan. I love that answer. That's that's fantastic. Just engaging your stakeholders. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's absolutely the case. Um, you know, I can sit in my office and try to say, well, how do I solve X? Um, but what I have my experience again, um, this is my experience has been really if you get a group of dedicated people around the issue, they often have really good ideas and can more quickly get at solving the issue of the day and things you may have not have even haven't even gotten on your radar yet. And I think that builds an enormous sense of a win-win, right? Hey, you know, I'm really struggling with this process or what I see happening. And then if you listen and you engage them and then you can implement their ideas, well, they're more likely then to come back with saying, hey, you know, how about this? Or what about that? And the people closest to the issues often have the best solutions. Any specific examples as it relates to community partnerships about ways you're partnering in an innovative way to maybe use some of those other campuses or or to other achieve other goals you have? Yeah, a couple. I mean, let me give you a couple of examples. I mean, one of the things, um, and this predates me, but I thought it was brilliant. Um, we opened up two new recreational facilities in the last 15 years and, um, you know, very expensive, you know, but student uh, student uh, growth coming, but not totally here yet. And so we were able to open up the membership of the facilities to the community users. And um, it, it is, it's amazing. So at, you know, six o'clock in the morning, you can see local community members working out us alongside faculty staff and students. And so it breeds, um, it fosters, it creates an environment of sharing, conversation. Um, hey, I like this. Hey, do you know the basketball games next week? Um, and, and, and yet at the same time, it's more cost effective. So I, I can't take any credit for that uh, ingenuity or, um, or thought process, but that's a, that's a classic um, example of where bringing the community in, they're, they're being able to benefit from a you know, state-of-the-art swimming pool or a recreational facility. And yet the, what it's also doing is, is building connections and um, relationships among both our community members and then uh, George Mason faculty, staff, and students. This might be a little bit of a, a tricky question. Let's not call it a mistake, but what learning can you, as you look back on your career as a CBO, is there a specific learning you could share with our listeners, something you might do a little bit differently if you had a chance to do it over again? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great question. Um, so I'll give you one earlier in my career. It's actually pre-CBO. It was when I was in the Office of Management and Budget role, but serves me incredibly well in the CBO role. And um, it, it's twofold. One, it's listen more or listen more and talk less. Um, uh, as I said, I'm a high extrovert. I love to engage. But but often uh, when people seek you out, um, what they really need first is is the the opportunity to share their issue, their story, and often you get to know them. and And I find interpersonal relationships critically important in the CBO role. I think the second thing that um, I'm learning, uh, both as a, a OMB director and a CBO, is um, you know people have. Um, lives outside of their jobs. And as an early leader and supervisor, I don't think I was always so sensitive to that fact. And to give a true story, um, we tended to have very early meetings in, in government, 7 a.m. breakfast meetings. And I, I at times would become impatient with some of my really talented staff as to why was that um, why was that a challenge for someone to be able to get there at 7 a.m. and you know, be re- locked and loaded, right, for the meeting um, of the important issue of the day. And um, I had a really um, incredible moment of aha when a man who worked for me said, um, I just, I need to let you know, this is this is really hard for me. It's not that I don't want to be here, but, you know, I'm going through a divorce and I have three young children. And I was like, wow, wow. I, I And, you know, I never stopped to take the time um, to think through that issue. And again, I was in my 20s. Um, and I thought, wow, right? It's it's not about necessarily how you get the job done. Um, you know, you might, maybe you need to do it later in the day or you need, and that I learned to be less rigid and more understanding that people really do want to do their best work. And sometimes they just need some flexibility in order to get the job done. And if you can provide that, like focus on the goals and the deliverables. Um, you can you can be a more effective leader, and you can actually have a more effective workforce. And I'll I'll, I'll end on one last one because I thought this was also good in my career. Um, I was uh, 31 and uh, pregnant with my first child, and the governor at that time came to me and said, "I want you to be OMB director, so, you know, managing the." budget of the entire state of Delaware operations. And I was like, oh, I can't do that. Right. And she said, why not? And I said, well, I'm pregnant. I have a child and I want, and she said, look, um, I'm a single mom and I've raised three boys on my own. You can do anything you set your mind to. Um, You know, um, I know that you can do the work and, you know, if you need some flexibility around that, that's fine. As long as you deliver and hit the metrics. And I, and I thought that was incredibly powerful for me to, 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 again, sort of reinforce that notion that um, you, you can uh, do amazing things if, if your boss and you have alignment around the, the important aspects of what needs to get delivered and, and to allow some level of flexibility. That's great. It sounds like you've, you've had that work-life balance lesson in a couple of different ways throughout your career. Yes. As I always say, you can have it all. You can't have it all sometimes in the moment. Yeah. Um, you have to, like, right? Life is about making choices. Um, and, you know, I'm a dual careered working adult with two children. And so, yes, I, I, I work hard to lead by example in that way. But I also think you, it is important to assess and reflect on how, how to balance those relative roles out, you know, mom, 
CBO, spouse, dual careered, um, elder parent care issues at times for, for my husband and I. Um, but yes, um, you know, I, I work incredibly hard and uh, oftentimes long hours, but I also make it a priority to see my son's soccer games and see my daughter play volleyball. JJ, who would you say has served as a professional mentor to you? And what do you think you might have learned from that person? Oh, gosh, I've had so many, to be um, brutally honest with you. Um, I'm, I, I, I believe in the power of mentors um, and professional peer relationships. I, you know, one that really stands out for me is a Governor Ruth Ann Minner early in my career. Um, she went from uh, a woman who did not have her college degree to ultimately the governor, first female governor of Delaware. And she made a lasting impression early in my life around um, you, you can um, work hard, accomplish much, um, and do it while raising children. Um, I also think um, she was really focused on team and teamwork. Um, the other mentor I would simply say is my father. Um, I was raised by him from age two as a single parent in the 1970s, uh, which is quite unusual. Um, and he, he has the mixture of, um, he's wickedly smart, uh, a career civil servant, um, and also this enormous view on life that you can do anything you set your mind to. Um, and, and he continues to this day to have um, a profound impact on my life in the sense of um, uh, work hard, be ethical, um, you know, surround yourself uh, with great people because you're only one person, right? And, um, and you can accomplish much if, if you have a a set of values and, and a way in which you want to set out to achieve your goals. Let's flip that equation on its head a little bit. How do you feel that you support others as a mentor? There's a couple different ways people approach mentorship. One of it's just kind of lead by example. Some of it's a more formal relationship. Have you have you done any of that um, with you being the mentor figure? Yes, and I, and I always offer it. So I have a formal and informal mentorship. So I have people who have sought me out, students, um, uh, people in the institution and across other institutions. Um, I have done some mentorship through both Ikubo and Nakubo. Um, so I'm a, I'm a very much a believer in what, what I ascribe to affectionately coined by somebody else, uh, pay it forward. Um, I didn't get here simply because of my hard work, um, or my, my mental aptitude. Um, I got here in part because people mentored me and supported me along the way. Um, my, my big uh, commentary to anyone is um, I've never seen anyone turn down um, uh, someone who said, hey, could you help me or could you spend some time with me so I can learn? Um, and so I do, I do uh, almost weekly offer, offer that. So I have, again, uh, some grad students. I have people who are in uh, awesome jobs across the country now who I've worked with or mentored. And, um, but I, I do think it's a fundamental responsibility of people in the C-suite um, to pay it forward. 
What would you say is the biggest challenge that faces all CBOs today? What is collectively keeping you all up at night? Oh, there's only 24 hours in the day. And um, you're only as good as your team. Um, I think those are probably the two macro issues. Um, there's a lot coming at CBOs. Um, you know, the daily issues of the work, the, the budgeting, the financing, the hiring of people. Um, but there's also the strategic side. And so balancing out the strategic strategy work relative to all the demands. Again, I have 14 direct reports. Um, you know, I supervise about 1,300 employees. So the, the daily task of getting the jobs done and the issues of the day relative to the strategic side of the work, it, there's, it's a hard balance. Um, I think the other thing, and again, probably something I learned earlier in my career is you're only one person, right? So really your strength as a leader is being able to um, empower, well, set, set an agenda, set a vision, empower people, reward people for good, uh, good efforts. Um, so I spent, I spent a lot of my time really thinking about you know, the team. Um, you know, how's the team doing? Is the team have the right uh, tools they need to accomplish their goals? Um, yeah, rewarding great performance, great work, you know, maybe just walk by and say, hey, thanks for that last week. Um, you know, empowering and supporting. Um, and obviously, if there's an issue, you know, making sure you carve time out to work with your leadership team around what are the issues and how do we help uh, solve those problems. And then just looking at that same exact question in a slightly different way, what would you say is the biggest opportunity for CBOs today? What are you very excited about when you look at the profession as a whole? So I think it's the best job you'll ever have, right? So anyone who's listening and wants to be a CBO, go for it. Um, it really is the intersection of um, budget, finance, analytics, and strategy, um, CBOs, uh, what I, what I see and what I hear is ever more are being asked to, to really communicate, collaborate, um, not only providing information, but helping to engage all the constituencies in, in thinking through, um, strategy and executing on goals. Um, it's a dynamic time, right? So um, you'll never be bored in this job, um, which I love, right? There's always something new and different to learn and work on. Um, and you get to do it with really neat people, right? Again, in, in my world, 37,000 students, I haven't met them all yet, right? So there's a huge opportunity there. I get to work with some of the world's most talented faculty and staff. It's a privilege and an honor to do this job. It, it is hard work, um, but it's fun and it's rewarding. And, you know, I, I always say the best day for us is, you know, commencement where you see all the students who are graduating that year and their families and, you know, the mixture of, of just tears and joy and uh, a sense of accomplishment. You hear about what uh, our, our recent graduates are doing in the, in the, you know, in their, in their next phase of life and their careers and, you know, juxtaposition that and, you know, world-class researchers here and their latest discoveries. So it's, um, it is the best job you could, one could have in, in my, my humble estimation. JJ, anything else you'd like to share that I have neglected to ask today? Oh my gosh, no. Um, great questions and um, just such, an, such a great opportunity to have time with you and to share sort of my thoughts. So um, I hope to work with you in the future. 
Well, thank you so much, JJ, for joining us on the podcast and sharing just a few of your insights with our listeners. Happy to do it and have a great day. You can find out more about JJ and today's episode by visiting the conferences and e-learning section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks and Apple Podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of JJ and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Thank you.